Hi, hello, and welcome to K Out and About, a podcast about my random travel occurrences. This is season one, episode 17, Sheffield. Here I come. I can tell you straight away. About UK, it won't be just one episode, and probably not just two either. I've spent there mm, about 11 years collectively, and there are some stories to tell. I cannot but start with Sheffield, or as I call it lovingly, Shitfield. No offence to people from there, it had probably more to do with many, many, many other things than just the city or the university. So let's... How the hell did I end up at the University of Sheffield, studying German philology for that matter? I actually looked up uh, a definition of philology in English, as I've noticed, unlike Poland or Germany, it's not a word commonly used in the UK. So it is a study of history, culture and development of a language based on written and spoken texts. There you go. Now at my uni, I was the last one on the list for a scholarship. So I couldn't pick where I wanted to go. I had to take whatever was left. And nobody, I really, nobody wanted to go to Sheffield. Everyone wanted Germany, obviously. The problem was also a semester in the UK was bloody expensive. The scholarship wasn't even enough to cover the accommodation. So there was a long conversation with my parents before I could even accept it. Uh, just to give you an idea, the scholarship was about 950 euros. The student hall alone was 1,400 pounds. And they wouldn't cover the flights either because Sheffield was considered too close. Um, so I had to take a bus that took over 24 hours to get to Sheffield. Flights at the time were way too expensive. That was the pre-budget airline, so bus was way cheaper. But I did manage to go. Um, of course, I also had to find a job while I was there, which was slightly humiliating as I remember it. None of the people I met needed to work, just me. Part-time, but still. By the way, I'm so happy I did not watch Full Monty before I went, because uh, I don't think I would have dared. Great movie, by the way, go ahead and watch it. It, it just doesn't really paint the best picture of Sheffield. <laughs> and I don't think I honestly wanted to be there. In October, I came back from the Grand Canyon, and... I could only think of, you know, how amazing it was and that I needed to go back to the States again to earn money to be able to go to Costa Rica. So, of course, from the start, most of the things were a bit annoying to me. The living conditions left a lot to wish as well. For the amount that was paid, I wasn't impressed. Oh, and the food, horrible. If you've ever been uh, and tried English food, I, you know what I mean. Also, the UK, generally cold. And Sheffield, being a bit up north, cannot really climb. Uh, it has a good weather by any standards. Um, so the last thing I wanted to eat, for example, on a cold February morning was cereal with cold milk. And there wasn't even a microwave in the dining hall to warm anything up. Everything was getting cold in minutes. Other options were a typical English breakfast, which I detest with every fibre of my being. Luckily... Uh, me and another warmth lover, shout out to Laura, we complain about the cold milk through a suggestion box. And from then on, we, and only we, were allowed to have our milk warmed up in the kitchen by the ladies that work there. 
So for about four um, and a half months, my uh, breakfast consisted of cereal with warm milk and toasts uh, with a bit of butter and sugar. Because I don't remember anything there I liked for my toasts. Um, I am a bit of a fussy eater. People who know me uh, know that. No wonder then that when I was leaving in June, I swore never to come back again. Very quickly, I found myself surrounded uh, by people who accompanied me in my English misery for those few months. There was Eva from Greece and my neighbors on either side, Belinda from Austria and Laura from Barcelona. I think I was probably closest with those three ladies, although we have met a whole bunch of other international crazies quite quickly. At the beginning, I've, as I mentioned, I was really uh, an annoyed person. My friend Belinda called me angefressen. Basically, um, always finding something to complain about. Now, it is also a national Polish trait. It's not like I'm alone in this. But I think I was dialing it a little bit, you know, high. So what did I find that annoying all the time? Now, what I'm, what I'm about to tell you in this episode and the next one took place in 2002. And in a way, no fucking wonder Brexit is happening. It only should surprise that it's happening so late and of course, I'm recounting my personal experiences. And obviously, it is possible some people had maybe more positive ones. Anyway, generally, I didn't feel welcomed uh, by the English at any stage of my stay. Few things had to do with cultural differences, which I didn't understand. For example, I found it very rude that strangers called me duck, pet or love. Um, it felt terribly patronizing, condescending and overstepping my boundaries by a mile. And it was people everywhere in the shops, bus drivers, etc. Like, morning, love. How are you, pet? Of course, later, much later, someone did explain to me that this is just the way people up north uh, talk to each other. Then my classes. Oh, what a shocker. Basically... If you want to study a language at a university in Poland, you have to know it a bit first. You cannot start from scratch because you won't do much studying of the language in five years apart from learning how to speak it. So our year one, everybody speaks German, like not even semi-fluently, like pretty much fluently, like let's say about C1 level. And from the start, you get into the studying, like literature, applied grammatics, history of grammar, linguistics, history, phonetics, history of literature, culture of German-speaking countries, current events, etc., etc. Uh, you do your, the, you know, use of German exercises still, but they are on an advanced level. Uh, you get to, you know, differentiate the dialects, discuss politics, etc., and all in German, as it turned out, that was not the case in the UK. And I don't know if it's generally in the UK or it was just the case for German at the University of Sheffield. Over there, if you're overcome by a sudden need of studying a language you haven't really learned before, not a problem. You go and study it at uni. The classes were all in English. People read the literature in English and the presentations in classroom uh, were also in English. Now, I do realize I wasn't able to hide very well my disapproval of the situation. And I told most of the teachers straight away that all my papers and presentations will be in German, as I couldn't do them on a similar level, uh, level in English. Teachers had no problem with it, but my fellow students did. 
they must have thought of me as some kind of a stuck-up bitch who comes for one semester and is set on showing them how little they know. I'm not gonna deny. Yes, it was nice showing it to them. It also means that I cannot tell you the name of even one person that I shared classes with. And on top of that, because on the scholarship you had to cover a certain amount of points, I had to choose other classes because the most of the German philology ones were a much uh, lower level than back home. I think I ended up with uh, Modern German Cinema, a fantastic course. It helped me pick the topic of my thesis a year later. Then uh, 20th century German fiction and drama, I think. I think I had translations as well. And apart from that, Swedish and Spanish. And as much as I suddenly learned a bit of Spanish, improved my English, improved uh, my Swedish, uh, my German went down the drain. It was so painful to read my papers from before and after Sheffield and see the difference. Just painful. Uh, the university itself was spread out in quite a few buildings. Um, I had all my classes in the famous Arts Tower with the freakiest elevator I have ever seen. It's called a paternoster, because you start praying even before you get on it. Now, it's a tricky concept to explain without a visual aid. Basically, Google it, <laughs> but imagine a chain of boxes, uh, slightly bigger than a human, maybe to fit in two, three people, one on top of the other, with some space in between, and this chain moves constantly in a vertical circuit. Like one side goes up and then it turns to go down on a loop. And because it is moving constantly, you have to time your steps to get in and get off. And God forbid, there are three of you at the same time. Now, looking back, I think the Paternoster was the first place or the first time ever, probably the last one as well, um, where I disrespected the queue. Um, I don't remember exactly what I did. I do remember um, there was a queue outside the building once and I did wonder why it was there. Uh, but then I, you know, I walked into the building and I saw, oh, there's a paternoster coming and I just took the first one um, available. I mean, they must have been at a quite a distance from the elevators because it didn't even cross my mind that they were queuing there. Only later in the afternoon when I was, you know, pondering of oh, what happened in the morning, Maybe they were queuing for something completely different. I don't know. I honestly don't remember. And I probably didn't really care that much at the time. Now, the part-time job I mentioned I had to find was a weird one. I must say, till this day, economy and marketing are very alien topics to me. And so I couldn't understand why someone would pay me to get people's phone numbers and email addresses now I know more. And, um, oh, I was so naive. I got a list with businesses in uh, Germany and Poland, and I was supposed to speak to the owners and get their contact details, you know, direct contact details. But they were very, uh, you know, hardly ever available. And then someone took pity on me and said, um, they explained to me that it was easy just to speak to the gatekeepers and pretend to double check the details with them. They usually confirmed or corrected the information given, and so I was able to earn more money because we got paid in commission on the amount of uh, details we were getting. I think that was the first time I actually got to know how some of the industries really work. Now, let's get back to the accommodations. A huge part of my scholarship, well, scratch that, 
My whole scholarship uh, pretty much went to the student hall, Halifax Hall, where I lived with a short break for over four months. The building itself was divided in two wings, as far as I remember, the old one and the new one. Uh, the old one was supposedly haunted, you know, so quaint English thing, um, you know, to have a haunted a wing in the building. Uh, the floors were divided between boys and girls. I don't remember anymore which floor we were on. Might have been the first or the second, definitely not the ground floor. And there was definitely a floor above us. I remember because of the banging chair. Not exactly above me, but above Laura. It was a simple game. The guy upstairs would become bored and start banging his chair against the floor to let you know he was there and he was bored. Now, uh, the entrance to the hall, uh, there was a nice reception and there was always a guard and the suggestion box, which, as I mentioned, was crucial to my well-being right from the beginning. I don't remember the names of the guards, but they were a really, uh, really nice bunch, very sort of protective and, you know, always worried if, if we were okay. Uh, there was also a huge dining hall for breakfast and dinners. Uh, nothing, you know, fancy. The, it was no Hogwarts and definitely much, much colder. Uh, but, you know, you get the gist. Uh, there was also a common room or few common rooms, a uh, few smaller rooms, I think, like with a TV or, you know, VHS player or DVD player. I don't remember. On our floor, um, there were, I think, 16 rooms, although I might be slightly off. 14, 12, maybe. Definitely more than 10. Each floor had a kitchen and a common bathroom with two showers and a tub. We all had single rooms with single beds and a little sink with a mirror above it. To my right, I had Belinda. To my left, I had Laura. There was also Sonia with us on the, uh, on the corridor. The rest of the girls were British and I haven't spoken to them much, uh, if at all, really. Maybe just high in passing, something like that. As I mentioned, the housing was expensive, almost £1,400 for a semester. It included food... Well, let's call it food, but no, seriously. And it included entertainment. Um, there was a fancy dinner before Easter, I remember. Uh, there was a hypnotist once, a karaoke a few times, a photographer, and a ball. Yes, then there was a ball. Something we had no idea about. Apparently, every year there is a ball, um, around May, I think, in every student hall on campus. Evening dress obligatory. Um, I was lucky enough that we had to go home for Easter so I could grab something to wear from home. Otherwise, I would have nothing. Well, the awkwardness started with the seating plan. I might remember it totally wrong, uh, but I think no one wanted to sit with the foreigners. That means us and about 20 other people. Well, we didn't talk to them on a daily basis anyway, so it's not like we were dying to sit with them. Uh, I'm saying them and us, like there were two, uh, you know, um, teams, but, you know. But they sat us down somewhere in the end. Um, of course, they also got our names wrong on the name tags for the table. You know, no surprise there. I must say it started very civilized. Uh, there was a fancy menu and we were all served at the tables. Um, there was a gambling room with a proper roulette and blackjack tables, I think. There was a karaoke room, there was a dancing room, uh, loads and loads of balloons, and I think we ended up spending a lot of time in the karaoke section. Now, when I sing, people leave the room, so I tend not to, you know, to save people's ears. Uh, 
But when we went in, the guy on the stage was killing, murdering Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know. And it was one of my favorite songs at the time. So in a spur of a moment, I grabbed a spare mic, jumped on the stage and started performing. I mean, not just singing, like feeling the song. The guy freaked out and kind of kept in the, you know, till, in the back till the end of the song. And when I shook his hand afterwards, he just looked at me with terror in his eyes. Like he must have thought I was mental. First of all, I hijacked his song. I mean, it might have been his, you know, the favorite song of all times. Second, um, I really can't sing. However, I can perform. So my friends did get a spectacle then. Uh, thank God for those analog days. And like, there's no recording that I know of, of this performance. Um, it was, I think, my first karaoke ever and certainly not the last one. What we didn't know was that Brits tend to take karaoke seriously, meaning you don't do it as much for fun as to show off your talent. None of us had talent and well, we took over the stage half of the night. I even sang in Spanish with a bunch of Mexicans and Spaniards because they found Mana on the list and I really liked the band. So we did have fun indeed. And of course, because we did our drinking in the normal way, and there will be so much more about drinking in the next episode. Um, we lasted, I think, till about 6 a.m. eating uh, chips and drinking Coke in someone's room. But I will tell you more about some random Sheffield stories in the next episode titled The Legal Aliens. Thanks for listening and until next time. <laughs>